morning, church. Hola, Iglesia. It is so good to be with you. Maybe you're still in your PJs, sitting at home in the living room. We're glad you're here. Or maybe you got all dressed up and came to church this morning. We're glad you're here, too. What a great day it is to worship God. I got to jump online in the chat a little bit. Saw a few people there. Let's see. I saw Margie and the Petersons and Bailey and more people I can't remember. So glad you're online uh, worshiping with us today. Glad you're chatting. I know there are a lot more worshiping online who weren't in the chat. That's okay, too. We're glad you're all here, too. We're, we're in a fun season here. You know, we turn 150 this year. We've got a big birthday party coming up in November, celebrating our 150th anniversary. And, and throughout the year, we're telling some stories because it's our story. And it's your story, and mostly it's God's story. It's your legacy to claim, even if it's your first Sunday with you or somebody sent you the link and you're watching for the very first time, this is your legacy to claim. And if you'll join us, you get to help us write the next chapter in the story. It it sort of makes you wonder, what have we been up to the last, you know, 150 years or so? Well, and lately I've been trying to find that out by collecting stories. And if you want to make sure your stories get told, be paying attention. Well, throughout the year we'll have more of these kind of story collecting. They're just Zoom calls where we all jump on and everybody tells story and we all take notes. Uh, we're going to have some more coming up in February. Here, here's something. I got, I got this story uh, from a fantastic source in one of our Sunday school classes called the Win a Couple Sunday School class. This story is from a weekend retreat uh, that occurred sometime in the mid-60s. There was some debate over whether it was 64, 65, or 66, but somewhere back in then. And uh, according to my source, the highlight of the weekend was a entertainment production that had been put on by Dr. Bob Rowe and Shelburne Ferguson. It was a Bible quiz competition, and contestants had been carefully chosen for their knowledge of the Bible, and they were ready to compete for glory and honor. And they were sent off into another room while the stage was set. Chairs were put up on stage that they would sit in as they competed together over who knew the Bible the best. And what they did not know, though, is that these chairs were specially designed by Dr. Bob Rowe, and they were wired. And any time one of the contestants got an answer wrong, they would be shocked And I have it on good authority that this was not some small tingle, but a deeply painful experience. And the audience who was in on the gag apparently loved every minute of it. I have not yet been able to track down any of the contestants to see how they felt about this experience. So if you're wondering, uh, what has this church been up to for the last 150 years? Well, at least we've spent some of our time planning life-threatening Bible quiz competitions in order to entertain the crowds. That's at least some of what we've done the last 150 years. But not mostly, right? Mostly, we've just been trying to follow Jesus. You know, uh, some, sometimes we've done okay and sometimes we haven't. It's not as easy as it sounds, really, but that's what we've been trying to do, just trying to follow Jesus because that's what Christians do. And if you want to follow Jesus, you start what we today call the Great Commandments. We looked last week at the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is one of the many places that Jesus teaches these commandments. 
Uh, this week, I want to look at uh, Luke chapter 10, another place these two commandments come up. Verse 25 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Uh, Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus answers. How do you read it? Well, and this guy, he gives the right answer. I mean, if he were on the Bible quiz show, he would not be getting shocked because he knows the answer. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Just exactly what Jesus has been teaching about the two greatest commandments. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, prove that he was in the right. And so he asks Jesus, and who exactly is my neighbor? It's a fascinating encounter. This guy knows the right answer. Uh, Jesus at this point has been uh, wandering around and teaching for about a year. And word is getting out that if you want to follow Jesus, this is his primary thing. Love God, love your neighbor. It starts with love God. This is what we talked about last week. It's the foundation of who we are. It's the foundation of what we believe and how we believe. It's the foundation of our story. But then he says, and the next commandment is just like it. It's like it in clarity. It's like it in importance. It's like it in scope. Love your neighbor. And this guy already knew the answer. And some of you showed up like that. Like you also already knew the answer. You know, you don't know this, but I wired all of your chairs to shock you too if you get any answers wrong. No, that's not true. But but if I had, and I'd asked you this question, what are the most important commandments? You, like this guy, you would have gotten it right. You'd have been like, it's love God and love your neighbor. That's it. That's where we start. You know, we got a mission statement. We follow Jesus, and the first two things we say about our following Jesus are we love God and we love others, you know, and you would have gotten it. But this guy who knows the answer, and you, and some of you, knew the answer, this guy does an interesting thing next. The first thing he tries to do is he tries to shrink the neighborhood. It was a common tactic among the ethicists of his day, because this law isn't from Jesus, it's from the Old Testament. Love your neighbor. And so they would discuss who exactly qualifies as your neighbor. Because the shorter we can make that list, right, the shorter we can make the list of who qualifies, the easier it is to follow. And my temptation right now is to criticize those people. How could they sit there and argue over how short we can make the list? What's wrong with those people? But probably before I criticize them for their attempts to shrink the neighborhood, I probably should sympathize with them. Because doggone it, I still find that we do the same thing. We try to shrink the list of who we can manage to love. Here's how you know you're trying to shrink the list, okay? It's when you find yourself saying or thinking something like this. I can't love them unless... They, you know, change the way they're living, change the way they're acting, change what they say, teach different, think different, vote different, look different, act different. 
Or, or we'll say, I, I can love them if they, you know, apologize to me or make good on their promises or, you know, do this or do that. If they do this. Or we say, I can't love them because of what they did, of who they are, of who they're married to, or who their dad is, or who their kid is. I just can't love them because you don't understand. You don't, you don't know. Or we say, I won't love them until, you know, when this happens, I've got a list. If they check this and this and this, well, then maybe I'll love them. Basically, when it comes to loving our neighbors, all of us, like that guy, we're busy trying to shrink the neighborhood. We want to shrink it down to people that are like us and look like us and think like us and act like us and most importantly, the people that do like us, right? They'll be like, they like me, then I'll like them. And, and, and maybe you're tempted like I am to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, wouldn't it be enough if we loved that list? Because even that would be hard. Even just trying to love the people who look like you, think like you, act like you, and do like you, even just loving them could be pretty hard. Like maybe that would be, wouldn't it make sense, Jesus, to put some boundaries on the neighborhood? You know, you can't let the neighborhood get too out of control. But Jesus does the opposite. Every chance he gets, where we want to shrink the neighborhood, he expands the neighborhood. He does it right there in that very text, Luke chapter 10. After the guy asks, who is my neighbor? He tells a little story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. His neighborhood was so small, he couldn't even cross the street. That's how small his neighborhood was. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. And then Jesus turns his question back on him. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. See, here's the thing. That expert in the law, that devout Jewish man who asked Jesus that question, every way he could have thought to narrow the neighborhood is upset by that story. Samaritans were different from Jews politically and racially and linguistically and culturally and religiously. But he was the neighbor, the one who was outside of any neighborhood boundaries you could possibly draw. He was the neighborhood. Jesus says, you try to shrink the list, but I'm just making it longer. I'm just making the neighborhood bigger. He does it in the Sermon on the Mount. This text is so radical. I, I mentioned it last week. But we're going to kind of 
look at it a little bit this week. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That actually makes a lot of sense, right? But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So if you want to be like God, you've got to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Because God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love the people who love you, what, you think you get a prize for that? It's like, I'm pretty sure even tax collectors do that, right? Like, doesn't everybody love the people who love them? Like, that just seems normal. And if you say hi, if you greet just kind of your own people, you know, the ones who look like you, act like you, talk like you, they're from the same place, root for the same football team. Like, really, like, I don't think you're doing anything out of the ordinary there. Like, I'm certain even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is just so clear. He's just so straight up. And he just so, it just tears my little life all to pieces. He's like, listen, if your plan is to love the people who think like you, act like you, look like you, talk like you, and do like you, like that is absolutely, there's nothing special about that at all. Everybody does that. Like everybody is nice to the people that are nice to them. Everybody loves the people that loves them. Everybody says hi to the people that say hi to them. Like that's normal human thing. Jesus says, no, no, no. If you want to stand out, if you want to look different, if you want to, if you want to be one of my people, I mean, you're going to have to do what I do. Do what God does. God sends the sun on the rain on the good guys and the bad guys, on the righteous and the righteous. He says, you're going to have to even love your enemies. You're going to have to pray for those who persecute you. He says, that's how big the neighborhood is. Like, like it's all one big neighborhood. Around here, uh, to help us remember this, uh, we, we just say it this simply. We say, love everyone. Like in our mission statement, we want to follow Jesus as we seek to love God and love everyone. Because we never want to accidentally use any other word that would trick us into shrinking the list, right? And that would be so easy to shrink the list of who we're going to love. We even put it on t-shirts for everyone. I always love a sermon that lets me wear a t-shirt. That's one of my favorite kinds of sermons. Uh, I may just do a sermon series called Ethan's T-shirts. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Okay, but uh, we even put it on t-shirts for everyone. And, and you could ask this question. I, I could understand this question. You could say, for everyone. Like, isn't that just like a marketing campaign? Right? Like, because no church can really be for everyone. I mean, you can't be for the people who like the organ and for the people who like the drums. You can't be for Republicans and Democrats. You, you can't be for young people and old people. It's just a marketing campaign, right? And, and listen, I suppose if it was a marketing campaign, that'd be all right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with marketing campaigns, right? Like, I, you know, churches do fun stuff for marketing. We've done the thing where you put signs in the front yard, and I like that one. And one thing I've been trying to research, I don't know if this church has ever done this, so I'd love—if you know, I'd love to know this. Um, but you, there was a time when it was real popular for churches to give everybody a bumper sticker that said, follow me to 
such and, and would list the church, whatever church they were part of. Follow me to, those were hot for a while. I was always just so tempted whenever I saw one of those to just do it, right? To just like start following them and wait till they're freaked out and frustrated and they pull over on the side of the road and they jump out. Why are you not following me? I was like, the bumper sticker said to follow you and I've been following you three days now and you haven't gone to church yet, so I don't know what your deal is, you know? Wouldn't that have been awesome? I never had the nerve to do it, but it would have been fun. So I don't know if we ever did that or not, but whatever, you know. So I'm not against church marketing campaigns. I'm just saying this t-shirt isn't a, isn't a marketing campaign. In fact, if we're real honest, it's actually a discipleship campaign. See, we're humble enough to know that we're the ones who need to be reminded that the church is for everyone. We're the ones who need to be reminded just how big Jesus' neighborhood is. Like everybody who has ever followed Jesus has been tempted to shrink the neighborhood. So when I put this shirt on, like in addition to, yay, I get to wear a t-shirt to church, it's like a reminder, Ethan, God says love everyone. Or when I see somebody else wearing one of these shirts, it just convicts me that like, yeah, this is, this is who I'm supposed to love. Like, this is the list. It's exactly everyone long. That's how long the list is. So even though this shirt and this little slogan is not a marketing campaign, it's a discipleship campaign to challenge us to follow Jesus, it is related and this is important, it's related to a church marketing campaign. Actually, a very important marketing campaign. It's the only PR campaign that Jesus himself ever endorsed for the church. Here's how Jesus put it in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's his PR campaign. That's how people are going to know, Jesus says. As if there were people in your life and they were talking about you one morning over coffee back when we used to drink coffee together, you know, a year ago or something anyways. And they're talking about you and they said, you know, they're pretty religious, aren't they? I'm like, yeah, they are. They're pretty religious. I wonder what religion they are. You know, there are lots of religions in the world. I wonder which one they are. And they puzzled over it for a little while and then somebody said, you know... I bet they're one of those Christians. And the other said, really? What makes you think that? Well, they're just so dadgum loving. You know, they just love everybody. They love people who are mean to them and people who are nice to them. They love the people they know. They love the people they don't know. They go out of their way to do it. I think they must be one of them Jesus people. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, that's our PR campaign. That's how they're going to know. Here's the way John puts it in his letter to the church. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us even when we were unlovable and everything else. 
And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us in this way, since God so loved us, since God loved us like this, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We love. Down in verse 19, he goes on, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And this is the command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. You see, these two commands, love God and love everyone, are linked together. They're not just linked by Jesus teaching them the first and the second. They're not just linked by the title we give them, the great commandments. They are linked completely by the way they are practiced. If you say you love God, the way you demonstrate that is by loving others. And when you love others, that's how others know that you love God. If you think to yourself, I want everybody to know how much I love my God and how grateful I am my God, how much God has done for me and how much my heart overflows to God, Jesus says, if you want to demonstrate that to the world, then find someone that the world would be surprised if you loved them. And go love them. Shock the world with your love. And Jesus says when people see that, they'll think, man, there is something different about them. Everybody loves those who love them. Everybody greets those that are like them. Everybody is nice to people that are nice to them, but they are different. They love the people that didn't love them first. They love the people that are outside of the neighborhood. They cross the street. They go looking for people to love. They must Love Jesus. And I don't need to tell you that this principle that Jesus teaches and John affirms is so urgently needed right now. Finding people who love those who are like them, think like them, talk like them, vote like them, and do like them that's easy right now. Finding people who don't love the people who don't talk like them, don't think like them, don't look like them, and don't vote like them, that's easy right now. The thing that is rare is the person who says, I have been so loved by God. Even when I didn't love God in return, even when I was a rebel and a heretic and a liar, I have been so loved by God that I'm going to love other people like that. And when I do, people will know I follow Jesus. That's how they'll figure it out. And that, loving others in Jesus' name so that they might know we follow Jesus, that's what we've been trying to do for 150 years. And it's what we're still trying to do. Trying to be known for our love. 
because that's what Jesus commands us to do. And it's what it means to follow Jesus. Because we know that it has been for 150 years and is today the one thing that demonstrates who we are. Jesus' disciples. And the one thing that demonstrates our obedience to the first command, the way we show the world that we love God, is by demonstrating to the world that we love others. Not just with our words, not just in platitudes on Sunday morning, but actively and strategically loving other people. That notion that this idea needs to be more than just an idea and actually move into practice reminds me of another anniversary we're celebrating this year. In addition to it being the 150th anniversary of our church, it's the 10th anniversary of Love Month. We do Love Month every year. We do it in February. And it's sort of the 10th year we've done it. Now, technically, Love Month started in 2013. But that was just a new name for what we did in 2012 that was called Outreach June which in itself was just a new name for what we started in 2011 called Externally Focused Projects. Uh, A lot of people in this church have invested in Love Month. If I've got the story right, I think the launch of Externally Focused Projects was spearheaded uh, by Tim Wallingford and Erica McMurray. I think those were the two. But then the ball got picked up by Nikki for a while, and now Kathy leads it. And hundreds of you all have gotten engaged. And now almost all of the projects are led by members of the church, not by staff people. So the name has changed, and the time has changed, and the month has changed. But the idea that we would set aside a month to intentionally, strategically, and practically love our neighbors so that they would know we love God and know we follow Jesus. It's our 10th year of doing that. So happy anniversary, Love Month. Now, most of the things that happen in Love Month, of course, don't only happen in Love Month. This church is busy loving our neighbors all throughout the year. But Love Month is important because it's a chance for every single one of us to jump in. If you aren't yet practically engaged in loving your neighbor, Love Month is your chance to do it. Be real practical. Sign-ups are open now. FCC-JC.org slash love. You could pull out your phone right now here sitting at the sanctuary. If you're at home, pull it up on your computer. FCC-JC.org slash love. If you have any trouble registering, just call the church office. We want to get you plugged in. You'll find a list of events there. Some of the events are different this year, of course, because it's COVID, so everything's different. We're all sick of saying that, but it's true. We're doing some things a little differently, but that means all of our events are COVID strategic and COVID safe, so you can safely participate them and not worry that we're going to put you in a dangerous situation. And as part of Love Month, we are also rolling out the very first piece of 150th anniversary swag. I mean, you knew there was going to be swag, right? Okay, I mean, obviously, eventually we're going to have t-shirts. We're going to have 150th anniversary commemorative couches. I'm just kidding. We're not going to have commemorative couches. But you know what I mean. We'll have some stuff, right? Maybe keychains. Who knows what's coming? But we're getting it all started off with a sticker. 
to celebrate Love Month. Everybody who registers will try and get your sticker to us. It's a little weirder because we're not doing registration in purpose, but we'll get you a sticker. There are stickers available at the church for those who are registering or those who are interested in Love Month. It just says 150 years of showing love. It's our first little piece of 150th memorabilia, so grab it now. There'll be more swag throughout the year. And again, why is there swag? Remember, that's not the marketing campaign, right? It'll be super clear. This sticker is not our new marketing campaign. These t-shirts are not our marketing campaign. The signs and the bumper stickers are not our marketing campaign. They are our discipleship campaign. They're there to remind us of who we're called to be and who Christ calls us to be because our one and only marketing campaign is the one Jesus left us. He says, you know what? They'll figure out you follow me. They'll be able to tell you're my disciples. He says, don't worry. They'll know that you're one of my people. You know how they'll know, he says? Because you love others. I mean, you know, if you shrink the list, if you make your neighborhood super tiny, and you say, yeah, I'm going to love the people who look like me and talk like me and think like me and vote like me and do like me, he says, well, then they won't be able to tell. Because everybody does that. Even the pagans do that. Tax collectors do that. Everybody does that. But if you love the way God loves, if you send rain and sun on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, if you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, if you cross the street to go find neighborhoods you'd never heard of, love the people who don't look like you and don't talk like you and don't vote like you and don't even like you, if you love them, it says, oh, they'll be able to tell. So, That's what we've been trying to do for 150 years. That's what we're going to keep trying to do. And that is your story. Let's pray. Gracious God, let us love. This is who we want to be. It's how we want to live. It's who you've called us to be. God, I just ask that that we would recognize that this is more than some sort of theological exercise, but this is a practical invitation to a strategic love for our whole neighborhood. I hope that it starts with Love Month projects. God, we need hundreds of people to sign up because this is a way we show our neighbors we love them. But we want it to be bigger than that, God. We want it to be the way we live, that we live with a posture of sacrificial love, for all people, just as we have been loved by you. Make this truly, God, our story, because it already is your story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.